coming up on this episode of Harmless. David's Story, Part 2, The Toll. I would call home wanting to get grounded, to get help, to bring me back out of, I just saw something I can't fathom, to being back here on Earth in the normal world. I came home and told my wife, I can't bathe the kids. I can't do it anymore. Don't ask. I saw something, and I, I just can't do it. Our employer, just like almost every other employer, had no idea what was going on to people doing these kinds of cases, the mental toll that it was taking. What I didn't realize because of the position I was in was how bad it was affecting her. I didn't see that because I was so far under. Total intervention of the gods or whatever you want to call it. I think God was there and said, okay, we're going to make sure you get the help you need. Welcome to Harmless the Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Oldenburg. And this is part two of a compelling three-part interview with my close friend, David. If you haven't listened to part one of this interview, I recommend you go back and listen to part one, The Truth, before you listen to this episode. And if you've already listened to it, I hope you've gotten a sleep cycle between this episode and the last, because it can really help take away some of the angst that listening to this subject matter can cause. During the editing of this episode, a particular story that David tells brought me to tears. And I just want to let you know how much it means that David was willing to tell this most intimate and vulnerable story. So without further ado, I give you my friend David in part two, The Toll. People don't leave police assignments because they just can't stand to do it anymore. They leave them because it's boring, they're burned out, it's the same old thing, they want something different. But crimes against children, people leave because they cannot take it anymore. They just can't handle another image or another video or another child saying what they said or hearing about it again. That's different to me. That's different than a burglary detective or auto theft. You leave because you can't physically take it anymore. You can't mentally take it anymore. In every aspect of law enforcement, they make sure you are physically protected. You can't serve a search warrant without wearing a bulletproof vest. You're not going to go into this without a gun. Your, your vehicle is going to have a seatbelt. You're going to have a road guard vest if you're out doing traffic. They're always protecting you physically. But we need to start thinking about protecting us mentally and emotionally because we are human beings. We're not just a, a body in a uniform. And we need to be treated as such. It needs to be acknowledged that this is what we deal with. It's harmful. It hurts and it's painful. Mental stress is just as important and can be just as dangerous as physical stress. If you fire your weapon in the line of duty, you get 30 days off now. But what happens when you're overexposed to child exploitation material? You don't get any, there's no 30 days off. There's no break. There's just, hey, you're going to start Monday at this new position and thanks for everything you've done. I really think that needs to shift. The first step is introspection. You have to be able to raise that, your hand. 
I would tell people that Dave would work and work and work, but he never raised his hand until the very end. And it's just as much my fault and everybody else in that room that saw how you were and didn't say anything. And I want to talk a little bit about when things started to get bad. How did it affect your family during the process of going from doing this kind of stuff to it's really starting to affect you too, I have to stop? You lose out on so many things. It affected my family because now I can't be involved in kid functions and I don't want to. So when they're asking for parents to help with certain things, you're like, no. I'm not going to help. I, I can't do that. You have to be a little bit selfish to protect yourself, which means your kids are losing out on things. My family had to put up with that. I remember looking at a video for charging. Afterwards, I came home and I told my wife, I can't bathe the kids. I can't do it anymore. Don't ask. I saw something. And I, I just can't do it. The video depicted sexual exploitation of a minor when she was in getting a bath. The father forced her to do certain acts in the bath. When I went to bathe my kids who were at about that age, it just overwhelmed me. I couldn't do it. A couple weeks later, she was still working at Intel. The kids were in the bathtub. She came and says, I got called in. You need to finish the kids' bath. And she left. I, I literally went into a panic attack. How do I get my kids out of the bathtub? with this going on in my head. I, I went in without looking, grabbed the towels, had my head turned. I, I found my youngest and got her out and started drying her off and had my oldest get out on her own. Things like that, you don't think it's gonna do anything, but how do you not bathe your own kids? I would call home wanting to get grounded, to get help, to bring me back out of, I just saw something I can't fathom, to being back here on earth in the normal world. You call home just to have a small talk with your spouse. Just to have them tell you the stupid things that are going on, grocery shopping and trying to find apples that aren't bruised and everything else. You just need to hear something to help bring you down. The relationship that we had just became more and more strained. It pushed a huge barrier in between us. There was such a large realm of my life that couldn't be discussed. I can't disclose what I'm looking at on top of other things that were already going on. It just stressed that relationship to the breaking point. Thank you for sharing that. I'd like to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the fact that agencies don't contemplate the cost, the financial cost. Let's say you're command staff at the police department and you have a skilled and valuable veteran detective. 
paying him and training him for years, investing in him. How much money are these departments putting into you to just have you end up in a patrol car years later, broken? We're having people that are medically retiring because of this. Think of all the costs to a medical retirement the state has to incur. Why would you not take care of the people that are doing possibly the most noble police work that they could be doing? Think about just between pay, equipment, everything else. They're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars before you're proficient. Dave and I both had computer skills before we started doing computer forensics, and we still had to attend a lot of training. We went through multiple classes. I added up my training. I think it was somewhere around eight to 900 hours of training. How many years do you think it took from the day we took our first class in Florida till the day you felt they can throw any case at me and I can handle it? I'd say probably about three years. And the sad truth to that is that that's actually the approximate lifespan for someone doing this type of work. If you're looking at a cost perspective, these classes, this isn't a $300 cooking class. These are several thousands of dollars to attend a week-long class for one student. These are really expensive classes. Yeah, but they're necessary. When you go to court, you have to be able to say, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. This is how this works. Think about how much technology has changed. When we started, people still had floppy disks. Nobody has floppy disk. Apple doesn't even have DVD drives anymore. It's gone because it's outdated technology. You still got flip phones. Now your phone is a full-blown computer. It has tons of storage and you can do all sorts of stuff on it. New things are coming up. Things change so much and operating systems change. Windows 10 is not Windows 3.1. Things are very different how it handles a simple copy. Copy the file from this directory to this directory or this drive to this drive. You have to be able to go through the steps to say why that is that way. All that training has to stay up. The point of all that is that's a lot of money. That's a lot of time away from working cases. Put aside the fact that it fucks us up to do this and that's a whole nother issue. That makes no financial sense to do that. To put that much money and that much investment in a person and then not take care of them. Like training them to be a nuclear cleanup person and when there's a disaster, not giving them any protection. Not giving them a suit to go clean up the mess. It takes a couple of weeks to go through a case. It was regular for me to have three cases open at once that I'd be working because the tool has to take time to look for certain things. While it's doing that, I can work another case on another computer and another case on another computer. We had to sacrifice. We would bring forth the stuff that we knew was hyper important to a case, but other things would be left behind. A defense expert can get hired and gets, what, one case every month? two, a year, five a year, whatever. And I know some would find stuff that I missed. They had the time to look into it. I didn't. In one case, the defense expert did an excellent job. He was very honest. They asked, did you find any search terms that my client used on the computer? I found these search terms that he used. PTHC. What does that term mean? 
That means preteen hardcore. What would that indicate to you? That indicates that the individual is looking for hardcore sexual exploitation of a minor images and videos. That's what that term means. He was able to actually bring forth the stuff that put the nails in the coffin on this guy. I didn't find that in my investigation. I was able to find all the other stuff to show that, yes, there was intent. He was looking at these. But I didn't have the time to delve into that aspect of it. As you're going through all this, you're finally, oh, we're catching up. No, we're not. We're getting up there. No, we're not. It's a roller coaster that just never ends. We're so far behind. We're working our rear ends off, just trying to stay not as far behind as we were before. We start to catch up a little bit because things slow down on the other end. But then all of a sudden, you finally get to the point, oh, look, we're only six months behind. And then the next thing you know, you're a year and a half behind. I used to tell our boss, we're drowning back here, but we're not flapping up at the surface and we can get our nose above the water. The surface is 30 feet up and we're like, fuck it. We just can't. The, the backlog is so big. We're just opening our mouth and taking in the water at this point. Our employer, City of Phoenix, just like almost every other employer, had no idea what was going on to people doing these kinds of cases. They had no idea the mental toll that it was taking. Because as officers, we don't say anything until it finally gets to the critical point where we have to have something. We finally approached enough people that they said, okay, let's do something. They found this expert. He's yes. helped in major traumatic incidents, in bombings, in huge problems right. where there's massive amounts of people that are exposed to really bad stuff that have to work through it. He came in and sat down with our unit and asked questions, finding out what are some of the things that are going on. How can I help you? I know I've heard you explain that I dropped the bomb on him when it finally came my turn. I remember him going around the room and you were last. I was sitting towards one end and someone started. He had gotten kind of tepid responses from us. Yeah, it's bad stuff. And then as we went around the room, people opened up more and more and more. By that point, I decided, if somebody wants to ask, I'm going to just tell them the, the truth. I'm going to drop the bomb and let them realize what's really happening. I remember when you started to do that, you said, I'm not going to sugarcoat it anymore. And you would talk as matter-of-factly as, like you were talking about a new car you just bought or some other thing that happened in your life. You told everybody, and I appreciate that you did that. Yeah, and what I realized was we're all hurting ourselves. That's what's happening. We're hurting ourselves because we're saying, I'm going to be the tough guy, the macho guy, and I'm not going to let anybody know how bad it's really affecting me. What it's doing is it's making it worse for us. You know what? This is screwing me up. This is really causing a big, huge problem. So I'm going to tell people, you want to know what's going on here? This is what's going on. This is what the problem is. We told him. He went away and talked to our command staff for the department. He comes back. I was actually gone for the meeting. As he explained it to us, an example he used was the Oklahoma City bombing. And he said, when I debrief people who've left the bombing, they're away from the trauma. They're never going back there. And I'm helping them work through 
the pain and all the suffering and the PTSD issues they may have. He said, you guys, every single day you go to work, you are driving back to that bombing site. Every single day. I don't know how to handle you guys. I don't know what to do. In my opinion, just somebody to talk to, right? Right. I totally understand his situation. I wouldn't want to start trying to unpack this mess. But he did. He said, I can't help you guys. I don't know what to do. You need to find somebody who's a specialist in this. He didn't know what to do. For a standard police officer, if you have a traumatic incident, a child drowning, a shooting, something like that, it's an event that has a start and a stop. And then you can get help to deal with that trauma. Back in my patrol days, we had a very horrific accident involving a child. It, it was a very traumatic event for everybody that was there, but it started and stopped. At that point, you can talk to somebody, work through it, and deal with the result of having to bend at that scene. We were in the Family Investigations Bureau for a while. In that building, you have the people that do the hands-on offenses. The difference between those people and us, they're being told by the child what happened. The child saying, I was touched here, and they're showing on a doll. They're being traumatized because they're hearing the child describe it. We're being traumatized because we're actually watching the incident occur over and over and over. The difference is we're watching it over and over. We're seeing the actual offense occur. And it can be the same incident. You get to the point where, okay, yeah, I've seen these pictures before of whoever it was. I've seen all these. I know what they are. But you're seeing them over and over. And it's just reinforcing it then to the point where you sit there and you actually look forward to something being different that's hard that you sit there and really dig into, you know. I remember I had a personal NAS that two drives went bad and I was trying to fix it and I couldn't. Anytime something like that would come up in the lab, everybody would come try to solve the problem. And it was partially like a distraction thing, right? Yeah, it's a distraction that anything outside of what we had to do, it was fun to, to get into. You look forward to those odd cases that are outside the norm. I had a case and the guy had an encrypted drive. I'm finding evidence, but these link files point to a TrueCrypt drive. So I have to break the encryption. We're using a distributed network attack to attack this password. It was fun. And then as I'm attacking it, it opens up the first one. It's nothing. There's no files in there. He had a secondary encrypted file within that encrypted file. And when we opened that one, that's when we found all the images. For us, that's exciting. I remember one of the trainings that came around, the hash analysis came up and this big, huge light bulb went off in my head. When you are doing computer forensic examinations, you're being exposed over and over. I can say these images right here are definitely exploitation images and then create hash sets with those then I don't have to see those ones over and over again I can avoid that
actually started making hash sets so people wouldn't have to see that. By the time I stopped doing it, there was at least something in place to reduce a little bit the exposure rate for the forensic examiners. I have to say, Dave, that's like version point one of where we are now with the National Project VIX system, which allows any investigator to download hashes of known files. The mere fact that you thought of the other people having to do this work, I didn't know how important it was at the time. Yeah, it's going to shield you from your future case. But I remember you going around and making sure other people had access and you had it on the share drive. Thank you for doing that. I want you to talk a little bit about the fear of saying something because what's going to happen if you say, this makes me sad. I don't want to look at this stuff anymore. What's the response? The standard response is then you shouldn't be doing that work. Hey, the work I'm doing is causing me psychological problems. But you can go back to patrol. When you have low morale and people are, feel that they're a number and the, the department comes out and says, yeah, your number, we can move your number to a different place and put another number in your place. What's your incentive to do anything? You have no reason to work hard other than whatever you've been ingrained in through your life as a work ethic. You really change things when you are starting to, to take care of an individual because now they feel a part of something and you're supporting them. For trained investigators, good at very complex investigations, intelligent, able to, to articulate things very well, able to create reports to explain complex problems. Now what do we do? You've got a really highly trained investigator going back to patrol who hasn't been there probably for years, so he's got to relearn that job. But on top of it, now all of his skills are being wasted. One of the things that I, I tell people when I teach is when we lost Dave, he walked out of that room with so much knowledge. We lost all of that knowledge. He basically took his ball. You took your ball with you when you left. Right. And all that, we lost all of that. So you suffered, you suffered personally, you suffered professionally, but everybody else in the community also suffered because we lost a talent like you, knowledge, skill, and things like that. Right. Remember when Frank McCleary left and all the knowledge that he had, I mean, he was brilliant. All, all of our computer forensic examiners up there, all of us had like different things that we were better at, worse right. at. So when we lose one of them, we lose that piece of the pie. And somebody else has to either try to figure it out or you just muddle through it or, or whatever it has to happen. Whenever you lose somebody, whatever their thing that they were really good at, you lose that. And it's not like I can come back and help out. Because when you get to that point where I was at, you can't be back there. If you go back, you're causing more damage. It's like fine china that you can keep if you take care of it. If you want to keep using fine china, you don't throw it in the dishwasher. What do you do? You take care of it. How do you take care of it? You hand wash it, you dry it, you put it away. You put the, the little foam things in between yeah. so that the, the plates aren't up against each other. You wrap it up and then you bring it out for special occasions. You have to do something to take care of it. Same thing with an investigator in a detail that's very specialized. You need to take care of them. And if you do, 
yeah, it's going to cost you a little bit. There is a cost associated, but there's a reward on the end if you look at it long term. One of the things I looked at when I left was we really don't have anything in place. It's not just our department. Everybody's going to be the same way. You have an, a seriously trained investigator. And when he finally says, I've had enough, there's no exit strategy for anything. So when I came to the end, I grabbed our sergeant and went, we need to go talk to the lieutenant. And he just got this look on his face like, uh-oh. And then when we went in to talk to the lieutenant, he goes, let's go talk to the commander. We went over there and they're like, this is serious. Yeah. They didn't know it because nobody had said it. I hadn't said it. Nobody else had brought it up. Nothing had been mentioned. So when it finally did get brought up, they went, uh-oh, what do we do? And then they immediately went, okay, we've got this program. We're going to put you over here, helping with the implementation of an accident program for the department and patrol. But that gets you out right away. When I called up our employee assistance unit, normally when we call, we would get a therapist and that's not going to help you. Total intervention of the gods or whatever you want to call it. I think God was there and said, okay, we're going to make sure you get the help you need. One of our former ICAC detectives who now was working in that unit was the one that got the call. She said, I know exactly what you need. I'm going to make sure you get it. She pushed for what I really needed, which was to go see a psychologist. And she made sure that she got everything lined up. I had to do nothing at all. It was fantastic. She did a great job. I don't think you can just go to a run-of-the-mill psychiatrist, psychologist, because they don't understand what, what we're dealing with. They live in that same world where it's pigtails and barely legal stuff in their minds. So I think you need someone that has some type of connection with this work. Oh, definitely. trying to remember her name it was Esther and I don't remember her last name the reason I got her was she did a lot of work with child victims not only when they were children but also as adults of hands-on offenses I have had other times where I've needed to go and talk to somebody and when I call I will ask when you call the employee assistance unit you say I need to talk to somebody because I'm having anxiety and they help you They'll give you a list of people here. Try the, these different providers or these people. I'll call and I'll say, this is the kind of stuff I'm dealing with. Do you have any experience with that? I've actually had them say, I really wouldn't know how to help you. I think it should be mandatory that police departments have some type of mental health provider available for anybody doing this type of work. Any aspect of it, prosecutors, doctors, nurses, social workers, advocates, victims, everybody should have access to this. I really do. When I left, when I finally said, I'm out, I can't. There is no more. There is nothing. I have to get out. I remember Phyllis coming over when I was leaving and gave me a big hug as, as I left. She was weeping, openly weeping. What I didn't realize because of the position I was in was how bad it was affecting her. I didn't see that because I was so far under. I couldn't see that she was at the same point. I just didn't know it. When you're buried in a hole underground, you don't see the guy buried in the hole next to you. A lot of people, they're in denial. They deny how bad things are. Realize where you're at. Be open about it. When I come out and I say, hey, man, Eric, you know what? This is really affecting me. I'm having problems. I'm 
having flashbacks, nightmares. I, I can't get this stuff out of my head. When I start talking to you about it, you then realize, hey, he's going through the same thing I'm going through. We can now talk openly with each other and then we can go, you know what? I think it's time that we help each other or maybe we should get help. What have you learned about yourself through this journey that you took? A lot of what I learned was we push ourselves. I push myself a lot further than I should have. I did not go for help when I should have. I think I could have really saved myself a lot of pain if I had gone for help early on. I have a tendency to not want to get involved in that aspect of other people around us, especially as officers with other officers. If I see that you're going through pain, I don't want to admit it because then maybe I'm having pain too. On the other side of it, why would I want to get into your business? If I see Eric really going through a hard time, you get that, do I get involved? Do I not get involved? What should I do? For certain things, it's not a problem. Even if it's a tough thing, we still go on. What I learned was it's better to open up about these things. It's better to talk and bring it out. I didn't want to. I, I really didn't. When I was going through it, I didn't want to bring it up. But when it finally came to the end, I found it was much more important to be open about it and be honest about what was going on. I think it would have been helpful if people around me had said, listen, we're seeing this and we're worried. We think that you need some guidance, some help, and we want to do what we can to help you to do it. I remember talking to Chris Curley when I had been gone for about Six months, Chris was finally leaving Internet Crimes. And if I remember right, he did about 13 years. That's a long time to be doing that kind of work. When he was leaving, he and I met for lunch and we sat down. He asked a question that I thought was quite interesting. He said, do you feel like a failure? Point blank. I answered him, I could sugarcoat this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Thank you for listening to this incredibly deep story told to you by David, who suffered immensely in order to do a job that he felt was so important. In part three of David's story, The Hope, David and I discuss the fact that it's not all doom and gloom, and that there is hope and things have been changing for the better. But again, please get yourself a sleep cycle between this episode, and the next. And if you know somebody who needs to hear this podcast, please do not hesitate to send it to them. If they need to hear it anonymously, please email me at harmlessthepodcast at gmail.com and I will make sure they get it. Thank you for listening. Coming up on part three of David's story, The Hope. I would abuse my body running to get the angst out of me from seeing that stuff. When I walked into the psychologist's office, she said, I knew it was PTSD. You had that thousand yard stare. Talk to your supervisor, tell them, hey, I'm having issues with this. You can have that private meeting with them. They're gonna understand this is severe. This is gonna be a tough position to be in. You are going to see images depicting sexual exploitation of a minor. If you get an image that really affects you because it's so horrific, it's okay to talk to somebody.
Departments are, are starting to realize there are issues that go deeper than just rub some dirt on it. We encourage you to get help when you need to. Think about how you can extend out the life of an investigator. 